So it is June of 2021. This is Behind the DM Screen from the Tome Show, and we are three DMs talking about our games and help each other out, and that's all the intro you get. Say hello, Mike. Hello. And say hello, Sam. Hello. All right, so we're going to talk about our games. I'm going to put 15 minutes on the clock, and I get to go first. I've got two campaigns going on like I did last time. Um, I have my adult Deep Darkness game. The exciting news about my Deep, deep Darkness game uh, is that we are in person, face-to-face now. Every single person hey. in my group is uh, double vaccinated and, and several weeks out before we started getting together. Um, and so uh, here we are. Um, awesome. So yeah, we're meeting back in my in my basement, and the kids are my my youngest is actually DMing his he's DMing Ice Spire Peak for my oldest and one of the the other uh, the, I've got a couple that comes and they bring their daughter, so he's running Ice Spire Peak for the two of them while we're over there playing uh, our normal campaign. I haven't um, given all of that. We've done a good amount of play, but we've really only had two sessions that I can talk about since the last time we chatted. Um, in those two sessions, though, we ran the Scrivener's Tale, which is one of the um, the mysteries of Candlekeep or Candlekeep Mysteries or whatever the name of that book is. It's one of the adventures from that book. It's In fact, it's the one written by Branda Stoddard, uh, who everybody on the Tome Show knows. From our our favorite Tome Show show, uh, The Edition Wars. Um, and so he wrote that, and and I, I obviously I changed it um, because I cut out Candlekeep from this Candlekeep mystery, uh, and I cut out. <laughs> Um, there's, there's this thing where they like, they, the original story is you find this book, it marks everybody magically. Um, and so you're kind of cursed with this mark and you find out that the person who submit, who get, turned in the book to Candlekeep, um, is in Baldur's Gate. So there's this whole go to Baldur's Gate and find this, this noble person and find out where they got it from and what's going on. So you can, you can do your thing, right? Um, I just skipped that entirely. I skipped the book actually entirely. Um, I used it as a consequence to one of the things that happened in the Aserak battle. So in the fight with Aserak, um, I had that brilliant moment that I just absolutely adored when Aserak looked at the character and said, die. Right? Mm-hmm. We cast power to kill. And I described it that way. I just, you know, Aserak looks at you and the flesh... Uh, splits and tears as he opens his mouth and, and hisses die at you and you do right and that's it that's that <laughs> you just do um, so so yeah so that was brilliant and then she came back like two rounds later because they had a revivify ready to go and I knew they did when when he cast it um, and so that was no big deal except that she is my player who really likes to she's really into the creative writing uh, and brings it into her role playing a lot, and so she writes 
these narratives of things of, of like things that happened in the game, but like as if she was writing a novel. And in this case, she wrote the experience of her dying and the visions that she had in the afterlife in the form of the of a poem. Uh, and in it, she describes meeting this entity that she thinks is and refers to as death. Uh, and I decided this was going to be my chance to bring in uh, The Scrivener's Tale. And so uh, The Scrivener's Tale is set up where basically there is a, an archfey, an evil archfey from the gloaming court that has been trapped in the book. <clears throat> and... And so you 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 are marked by her, and slowly you're going to turn into glass because she's the princess of shadow glass, and she was a rival to the queen of air and darkness herself, uh, and so and that's why she was exiled and trapped in this book. Uh, and so I decided that that entity that she saw in the afterlife was the princess of shadow glass and had to give, put the mark on her and that um, the queen of air and darkness in an effort to make sure that this person who was exiled was never brought back. They destroyed all the books. So now the, the book that she's trapped in doesn't even exist. And so she marked herself onto this character who died. And slowly, as the curse spread, the words of the book started appearing on her skin, like cover, slowly hmm. covering all of her skin. And so that was how I replaced Candlekeep. From there, I just sort of – because the Princess of Shadowglass starts talking in your head and whatever. I just skipped the whole go to Baldur's Gate and figure out where the book came from thing. <clears throat> um, the Archfey wants you to go there, wants to be set free. She knows where she was. Why wouldn't she just tell you? And I didn't want to deal with all that. They're high-ish high, high level now going and and following this, this random trail of clues just wasn't very interesting for where we wanted to be. Uh, and so then they went straight to the ruins. The ruins involve, hey, you go down and the, the Scrivener is there himself, but is now a ghost and, and quite mad. Uh, and the vault that goes into the, the room where the Princess of Shadowglass was trapped is where you need to go to do the ritual that the ghost gives you to free her and then destroy her. Instead, you know, so you can you can free her from the book and save your life, and then you can also kill her. But first, you got to get her down to zero hit points. But to get in, you got to you got to open the door, and the door has three keys, and the keys are inside of these three statues down there, down in this little mini dungeon. Um, and of course, as soon as you da do any damage to one of the statues, it comes to life and attacks you. And then, uh, like they describe it as as a a literal like endless supply of mummies come out of the walls that were the, like the scholars <laughs> that were entombed in the walls. So this endless supply of, now it's not really endless because it comes in certain waves and there's a certain number of mummies per wave. So you can do the math and figure out how many there actually are. <clears throat> um, and so, and so you go through, you destroy the, the mummies. They, there's a, a, a mural in one room where there's a, a, a painting or whatever of a black dragon being fought off by a bunch of wizards. And if you if you manipulate this one section, like the this rod comes out of it and it frees the dragon and the dragon was real and trapped there as well. And then the dragons, you know, that was an interesting conversation because the dragon's like, I, I don't really care about you. I think I'll just be on my way if that's OK. Uh, and they're like, OK, but what are you going to go do? I don't know, go reestablish my lair, eat some elves, whatever. And they're like, uh, <laughs> I don't think we could let elves. you do that. <laughs> right? I'm like, well, he's a black dragon. What would you expect him to say? <laughs> right? <laughs> he 
You think he's going to – oh, yeah, no, I promise. I promise I'll totally be good. I'm I'll gonna, be good. I, I found the error of my ways. Ve- yeah. Vegetarian Black Dragon. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, which, so, I'm sorry. Which adventure was this? The Scrivener's Tale. So it's one of the higher level ones. Uh, that's one of uh, – Candlekeep Mysteries has turned out to be a huge boon for me because um, – because it's like the only thing they've published with decently high level material. Like they they walked out of out of uh, the Tomb of the Nine Gods and defeated a Sarak, and they're like fourteenth, fifteenth level now, and none of the adventures have anything that high. Um, they, but they defeated a Sarak. Yeah, well, did we talk about that already. I think we did, didn't we? I don't remember. I thought so. Yeah, I thought we did because we talked about. I think, Mike, we talked about your lich, right. your, re- your reworked Acerarach. Right. Yeah, and I remember him killing, the, yeah, killing the character by saying die. Right. Yeah. Man. So, so the, they, Sarah. They, I mean, they, I mean, as much as you can beat a lich, they don't. They, it's not like they have his phylactery or whatever. They have an item that right. has trapped his soul on this world for the time being. But you know, that's just until they die and and they lose the item or whatever, and then Acerarach goes and does whatever he wants. Um, cause that's how Sarah works. So at the very least, they've temporarily stopped him from being a pain to the world. Um, so anyway, yeah, so they, they got the three keys that, that was a fun encounter. The dragon was, it was a fun little wrinkle cause now they've gone through two major combats and, and you've, they've worn him down decently. And now you've got to go in and, and fight the princess of shadow glass. First, you have to summon her. Uh, and I like that. Unlike what normally happens in a lot of adventures, I find, instead of just sort of this ambiguous, vague, like, you conduct this ritual, like, there's a very specific description that uh, Brandis put in there, which is, is like, you lay out these candles, and the person who is marked lights the candles and then snuffs them out and does these specific, like, there was a very sp- sort of, it wasn't super specific, but but specific enough that I could add some some flowers and whatever, and it came off really well, and, and I had a, a starting point for, uh, that worked really well. And then she appears, her, her one of her other names is, uh, uh, was it Nintra Siota? That's the the name I mm-hmm. used for her a lot when she wasn't the princess of Shadowglass, um, and they fought her, um, and and that was a fun encounter. Um, the sorcerer has recently gained access to Polymorph and used their time in Chult uh, after they got out of the dungeon. To like, hey, well, we got to wait a day before you get your spells back that can teleport us home. Um, I'm gonna, you know change into a bird and just fly around and see if I can find neat things in Chalt to polymorph into. Um, and, and I, we rolled some random checks and managed to, he managed to find himself a T-Rex. So during the fight with Nitra Siota, uh, he polymorphed himself and another character into T-Rexes, uh, who were running around in that little library chomping on glass warriors and whatever. Did uh, you, uh, did you, did you beef her damage up? Her damage is anemic. I did the same 12 thing. points of damage for a yeah. CR 16. I imagine, <laughs> I don't remember exactly now. That was the last session that we had virtually. Um, I imagine I did the same thing with her that I did with the demon Lords based off of our conversation years ago. Uh, and, and yeah, I beefed up the damage. I beefed up the hit points. I gave her 
spells yeah, as, part of, as part of her multi-attack. 306 hit points. So her hit yeah. points are great. But then I'm looking and she's like, yeah. do two a claw attacks, 12 damage. I'm like, yeah. Um, 12 damage. So anyway, yeah. So, so I ran that. Um, and then, and, and that was, that actually ended in an interesting, like, because that was the, like the big consequence to, I died fighting the Sarak thing, right? There, this is the thing that sort of came out of that. Um, and that character who has had this romance with another character for some time now, um, and, and that, and she's a tiefling and she was originally like raised in, in dis and was, you know, responsible for gathering souls for Dispater. And, and, you know, so she has this sort of dark background and she's sort of always stuck back in that and what have you. Uh, and, 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 you know, just can't get past that past. That's sort of her, her MO. And this character that she's romantically involved with is like, you gotta, you gotta leave those things behind you. You gotta live for now. You can't get stuck in the, in the past all the time, whatever. Um, and so at the end of that moment, when she was free of this curse, she took that as the moment of, you know what? You're right. I do have to live in the now. And she got down on one knee and proposed to him. Uh, and so we had a little, we had a little, um, proposal, uh, in, in our game the other, that was just last week. Uh, and then we transitioned into one of the other Candlekeep mysteries, which is Alcazar's appendix. And they did, went through the first part of that. I've tweaked, I've changed it a bit, and I've made Alcazar, uh, I've made the, the, the Hamilkai, the, the, the dead, um, person that they're looking for, that's sort of the, whose sarcophagus they're looking for. Uh, that's the one with the Nether Scroll. Somebody, uh, DM Chromie was asking in the chat about one of them having a Nether Scroll. That's the one with the Nether Scroll. Um, and I've changed it from being sort of, I think he's Mulherandi. It's all very Egyptian themed. Um, I changed it to being from the ancient empire of Narfel, which is right around where Rashomon is today. And I, and one of the characters is from Rashomon. So I'm trying to give that character some more spotlight time. Um, and so, yeah, and so the, we started the first part of that. And, of course, that player who plays the character with the connection to Narfel, because because Nar, the, Nar, the Nar people were noted demon binders, and they have to bind Gargoth. They made an infernal pact to bind Gargoth instead of killing him, um, because I'm having them create the Shield of the Hidden Lord for someday in the future when we run to sit into Avernus. It'll be a nice <laughs> little cameo. Um, right. Uh, so yeah, so so they're going to learn how to bind these, such creatures by finding this per- person's tomb and investigating how they did it uh, to, in order to protect a Nether Scroll. Uh, and so I've connected it to all that. But of course, the player who has that connection to to Narfel um, couldn't couldn't make it that last week. The, the week we started that adventure, uh, and so he did the. He was telling me that well, I'm going to start looking for loopholes in the Infernal Contract. And so I'm like, okay, well, that'll be fun. And so I did this whole, okay, well, that's that's the explanation. He went up last night to study the the contract and then never came down the next morning. But the imp that gave him the contract showed up and said, oh, by the way, we got him. He's safe. He's going to be fine. We'll totally return him to you when we're done with him. Thanks. Bye. Right. And so that explained why that character and that player wasn't there that session. And now I'm running all this uh, – in between session stuff on discord with him the, to sort of describe what happened and, and where he was. Uh, and so there's, they, there in that first part of that adventure, they trek through the Anorak desert 
for a while following this um, uh, Sapphire Sentinel, a big stone golem that's supposed to that is created to protect the Nether Scroll, uh, and it's trying to help them find their way back to to where it is, to the tomb, whatever. Um, and so and to do that, you walk into a purple worm layer. And so that's what we did last time. We walked into a purple worm layer. We, of course, have inevitably fought the purple worm. And that's where the session ended last time. Uh, I didn't end up talking at all about my descent into Avernus. That was all of this conversation of like two sessions that I had. My descent into Avernus game is over now. That happened last weekend. Um, mm. they, they had finished Idle Glen last time we chatted. Um, my children were having issues one week, so we just didn't play. Because I'm like, if you're having this attitude before we play, I'm not going to deal with it in the game. <laughs> uh, so I just canceled the game that week. Um, but yeah, so they they made a deal with Tiamat, so that Tiamat would, when they were called upon, would come and destroy the the companion. Um, and they had the sword of of Zeriel, and the character with the sword of Zeriel is like, I'm just going to go start chopping up chains while the other character is summoning Tiamat to destroy the companion. Um, it did like the adventure as written has assumes that this, this confrontation and the conflicts that might come before it, the, the fights that might come before it happen under El Torel, which never really made sense to me because under El Torel is the river sticks. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. so I, you know, but I got lots of old maps from the the third and fourth edition days of, of ruined cityscapes. So I just pulled one of those out and made and had it happen in the ruins of El Torel. Um, and and they, I was gonna have like some demons show up before El, before Zeriel gets there, or some devils show up, and then some demons show up, and then another wave of devils, and then Zeriel shows up. Uh, but it was the the session was getting long, and I kind of wanted to get it done with because we'd already been delayed in finishing the campaign by a week. So I just cut it down to one wave, and then the second wave started. I had a big, um, what are they called? Gorisro, the big Minotaur demons. Yeah, right. I had a big Gorisro show up. They fought it for literally one round, and then Zeriel like landed in the middle of it with a splatter of gore. Right, um, and then that's that's when they confronted Zeriel, uh, and and um, my youngest son managed to get a thirty on the pers- persuasion check to redeem Zeriel. Wow. Right. Nice. Uh, so, so Zeriel was well and fully redeemed. They were surprised that the companion had an angel in it because that like never really comes up. There's no hints of that really anywhere in the right. adventure. So, um, and then, you know, that ended and, and we saved the day. And so we decided we vote or well, we didn't vote. It's my pick. So I, I chose two things to, for what we're going to play next. And I, or I presented them with two options and they chose Gamer World. So we're going to play, um, Gamer World, I think it's seventh edition, but it's the edition that came out during fourth edition D and D. The four E one, yeah, that's pretty good. I have all the expansions for it, and I've never really yeah. played it. But if you have all it's the expansions, fun. the published adventures kind of go through the ten levels of the game. Um, so I think we're just gonna. I've I've basically read the entire all three books of Gamer World that were published um, in the last week. So I'm ready to go for Gamer World uh, this weekend. Awesome. So, so we're gonna try that next. Uh, and as you are aware, my time is well over. Uh, so uh, I managed to. Uh, the dogs have been trying to tell you for like ten minutes. Can, can, can you hear you. the dog? Can you hear the dog upstairs barking? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> good. 
You know what? That's that's the joy of uh, that's life, man. Living that's right. in, a, in a virtual world these days, everybody's used to hearing. Sam will, Sam will edit it all out and post. Yeah, no, I won't because it's on his. It's, on top, no, of, it's on top of me talking. Yeah, you'll yeah you'll figure that out. You'll do very careful equalization. Look. We are real people. We live in real houses, yeah. and some of us have pets. So, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, do okay. I have the special? I don't know if I have spe- I have the cards that came in those boxes, and that's about it. Uh, Dave yeah. Jr. is asking about the... You know, you, you can buy the uh, the entire set of cards from uh, drive-through cards. Oh. oh yeah. They come in a nice, nicely nicely printed. They're very high quality. Yeah. I'll have yeah. to look into that and see if it's if it's worth if it's worth it for the one time I might play it. Yeah, it's like either fourteen bucks or seven bucks. I mean, oh. it's really reasonable. Oh, I was I was a- quite surprised because it's like two hundred and fifty cards or something like that, and, and like actually printed cards. Yeah, 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 the cards and but I can pull them out and show them to you. No, that's you fine. No, no, that's okay. Yeah. I, I believe you. I, I want to clarify. I just looked up the drive-through cards. It's it's the hundred and twenty cards from all the booster packs. I don't think it has the two uh, special cards that came with the Trouble in Freezeboro. There was a game day called Trouble in Freezeboro. Came with two extra cards. I don't think it has that. It's 120 cards. It's 19.99 in print, 9.99 in uh, PDF. So there you go. Just to clarify, I don't want to mislead people. I was thinking it was cheaper. I think when I got it, it was 14.99, well, but uh, it's 19.99 now. So. If you had been wrong about that, that would have been the first time anybody's ever been wrong on the Tome Show. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's absolutely good. correct. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's, it's good for you to clarify that now. Uh, all right, uh, I do want to mention our sponsor for this episode. We have a sponsor again for the next three months. Uh, it is a product called Galder's Gazetteer. If you go to Drive Through RPG and search for Galder's Gazetteer, uh, Galder G A L D E R apostrophe S, um, then you can find oh, Galder's yeah. Gazetteer. It's currently, it, number two. It is yeah, and it is a it is a big product. There is a lot of stuff there. Uh, it's like 192 pages. It's got new player archetypes. It's got new sort of optional rules for things. It's got monster templates and environments and traps for DMs. It's got a fifth level and a 15th level adventure. Like it's got a lot going on. Uh, and this product came out of the, uh, an individual named Lawrence who was dying of a rare form of cancer. And, um, one of his last wishes was to have his D and D character sort of be remembered in D and D lore. And so, um, Zipper on Disney, uh, as he's known on, uh, on the interwebs, uh, worked to make that happen. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, he's got a, Zipperon's got a, a YouTube channel and you can follow a lot of what's going on there, but, um, they made this product to, to make that happen. So Galder, uh, is this, is Lawrence's, um, character and now he has a gazetteer and all of the proceeds uh from it go to uh a cancer research institute um so (laughs) they had a um they had a crowdfunded thing and decided that they wanted to use part of that money to to get the word out and do some sponsoring on some places and and they reached out to us so here we are the wizard galder has traveled to many, many worlds. Along his journey, he took notes on the mysterious and fantastic things he encountered. Many of the secrets he learned are chronicled now in Galder's Gazetteer, published by Zipperon Games. Galder's Gazetteer is a 5th edition D&D supplement 
that is an advanced expansion of the game rules, including new actions, conditions, and martial options that are all fully integrated into new classes, archetypes, ancestries, feats, spells, and DM tools, plus adventures for both 5th and 15th level to highlight these advanced rules options. Galder's Gazetteer was inspired by a gamer named Lawrence, who was dying of a rare form of cancer, and wanted his character to be remembered in the annals of D&D lore. 100% of the proceeds for this book are donated to the Cancer Research Institute. You can find Galder's Gazetteer at drivethroughrpg.com at the regular price of $35 for a PDF or $47 for a print-on-demand physical copy. You can find more about Lawrence's story at lawrencescampaign.blog. Check out the show notes for links. Uh, next on the list is Mike Shea. Mike, uh, I-, I went over about five minutes, so you only get ten. Go ahead, go. So I get to go over for ten? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm running, uh, descend or descendant avarice. I'm running, uh, I don't even know what's called rhyme of the frost maiden. Yes. Um, and I am running it for both of my groups. Both of my groups are at roughly the same point, which is the transition from chapter one to chapter two. Uh, last time we talked, I was having a lot of trouble figuring out that transition and getting kind of lost in the chapter one quests. Uh, my, my players, like the characters had lots of quests in front of them. And I felt like, you know, they're just going to get mired in odd jobs in 10 towns indefinitely. And meanwhile, they're not leveling and they're mad that they're not leveling and so on and so forth. So I I found one. uh, Let me just so I remember where we're at. Transit. uh, Chapter one is doing stuff around 10 towns. Chapter two is like, now let's go explore more of Dale. Yeah, wandering Icewind Dale. It's, it's basically the Tin Towns sort of sandboxy run around and do a bunch of side quest thing, but now you're in a bigger region. Kind of, and actually with less motivation to hit a lot of the places. Yeah, yeah. Right. At least in Tin Towns, somebody was coming to you saying like, "Hey, we this weird stuff is happening. We need your help." And the other one is like, "Hey, we saw a thing out in the woods. That's weird." And then they're like, "Oh, I guess we'll go wander." Right. And right. so there's a fair bit of, you know, yeah. So. So I was having trouble with that transition. In particular, both groups were spending a lot of time up north in Lonelywood dealing with the White Moose, which was great fun, and with um, Tourmaline and the stuff up there. And they looked at their quest. And then, like, the next quest they had to do is in Sierra Koenig. And Sierra Koenig is, like, as far away from Lonelywood as you can get and still be in (laughs) 10 towns, right? Which means you got to go, like, through six other towns to get there. And those other towns have quests, too. Or you go across the tundra like my group You could, right. But they, they, you know, they're like, but their their thought is, like, if I've got these quests and some of those quests, you know, some of those quests are on the way, we might as well go to do the quests on the way. And then I'm like, yeah, that means it's going to be three more quests before you actually get to the Durgar and the Durgar quest is kind of important because it ties into the bigger plot line of the, the, um, uh, the whole sunblight, you know, sunblight lair and the Shardalon dragon. So I figured out a nice way to deal with that, which is recognizing that the, the situation in, in care Koenig can just be moved to whatever town you want. Like you don't have to run it in, in, Care Koenig. So I had them go to uh, East Haven. They they were already in East Haven. And at that point, they became aware of the fact that they were stealing, that the, the, the dwarves were stealing the uh, the Shardalon masthead. 
from the ship that you know, from the ship that sunk. And I just moved those guys and said, okay, those are the ones you're going to track back to the Dorgar lair. Uh, and that worked out. So, so at that point, they're like, they're deeply involved in Dorgar. They know that Dorgar is stealing Shardalon. They followed the, the Dorgar. They made their way last night. They, they made their way out to the Dorgar outpost. Uh, they crawled through the outpost, killed a bunch of Dorgar, captured the prince, uh, f- pretended to be, this was actually kind of fun. They pretended to be agents of the woman that is getting married to the, the king and that she's got her own mercy team that's checking up on the Dorgar and and like and she's and then and they convinced him that like you know yeah we killed a bunch of Dorgar they attacked us first we're actually working for your new stepmom and you know and he's like oh you know so that added this and then and then they dragged him back to East Haven anyway and at that point he figured out wait you're not working for my stepmom but he, at that point he gave up a bunch of intel right so uh, at that point they know about the Dorgar they know that there's this big thing coming they, they, they have that risk, but they also know that the symbiote inside one of the characters, the Mind Flayer symbiote inside one of the characters is growing. And if they don't deal with that, that character is going to have some, some permanent changes. And I'm using some of the stuff from Van Richten's guide for the dark powers, the, 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 the dark gifts. And sort of, I, I kind of make it up my own, right? But the dark gift is like, as this thing grows, there's like, there is a symbiote dark gift. And it has its own personality. It has its own stats. It has its own languages, but it's part of you and it can tie into it. And I gave it detect thoughts. I, I said that the, the symbiote gives the character the ability to cast a spell, detect thoughts once per day for free, no spell slot, right? And, and that it, it, it's always kind of going. So without the character's ability, Filferi is the name of the character. Without Filferi's knowledge, she will pick up thoughts from people that she just looks at because the symbiote's picking them up. So that's kind of interesting. So they're like, okay, we got to go to that wrecked ship. We know that there's a wrecked ship out there. We're going to the wrecked ship. So at this point, I'm like, you know what? It would be kind of fun. What if there are Githyanki hunters out there that the ship that crashed crashed because it was shot down? And there's a Githyanki craft out there who's like, yeah, you know, spreading across the Astral Sea. We shot one down. It crashed. And we know it's out there somewhere, and we're here to find out if it's had influence here in the world. Because if it has, we're going to have to call all the dragons and destroy the whole planet, right? And that way, the char- and, and then like if the characters get involved, like, oh, uh, you know, one of us has a symbiote, like, oh, that's, that'll be enough, right? So I'm, I'm now tying into this larger idea of like a, a Githyanki Mind Flayer war. And I also have this idea that there's actually two factions of mind flayers. There's one faction that wants to just pack up and go home. They didn't want to be here anyway. But there's another pa- another faction that's like, wait a minute, we can put our elder brain here and we can grow a great big mind flayer lair. And we can, there's lots of people and there's lots of people underground and there's lots of people above ground. That's lots of thralls. That's lots of, you know, hosts. Why don't we do that? And then the players can kind of get involved between those two factions as well with the idea that the faction that wants to go home is probably the one you're going to want to deal with more so than the other. See, now, now you're singing my tune because I've had this idea for a Mind Flayer Gith like 1 to 20 campaign yeah. in my head for 15 years and I've just never spit it out. Yes, yeah, so I, I spat it out and I wrote up a, Gith Yon- a 1 to 20 Githyanki campaign. Yeah, no. Uh, outline on Sly Flourish. Yeah, and no. I'm like, I, I, it, I, I, rather enjoy, I rather enjoyed that for that exact reason. Yeah, I, like, I, I, I already had it in my head. Yeah. They're, they're really fun. They're, they're fun to do. So, um, 
So I'm like, I want to use stuff from that. And that could lead to a 20th level game. Like that could take it far beyond what's in Frostmaiden. And after they deal with the Frostmaiden and all that stuff, they're like, yeah, but now there's an elder brain growing underneath the ground here. And then you have elder brains and you have Githyanki and, you know, both of those groups can scale up to 20th level easily. Can, you, know, can if you connect you, it to the, to the Netherese city as well that has, has, has very, has very little motivation to go to otherwise. Yeah. So all, well, I still, I'm not ready yet to just tie those two things together okay. completely because I do, I, I think I like the idea. So I'm, I'm the, the other think I think the other big change that I'm making to the campaign is that the uh, the endless night is caused by two factors, a spell cast by oral using the codicil of the white and a power source from the Nethery city. And both have to be taken care of in order to end truly end the endless night. You can't you can't get rid of it without dealing with both of those problems, which means whether they go to the island and get the get the codicil or they go down to, to Yethrin and deal with the power source, they still have to get the other one, right? I haven't figured out why yet. You know, I don't know if it's like you got to shut the power. You got to shut the power source down in Yethrin and then cast the spell, you know, reverse, reverse the spell by using the codicil of the white. And you have to do both. You can't you can't only do one. Yeah, maybe Oral is continuing the spell and it's making it worse. But if you stop her, it won't get worse. Still there. But it but yeah. it'll be maintained by the power source or whatever. Yeah, I don't know that I worry too much about like I'm I'm kind of happy to throw out the idea that she has to go cast it every night, right? Like, I, I it, it, there isn't you know when you're a god, I don't think you do that. There's a certain like mythological appeal of like the god flying across the sky yeah. every night, sort of you know that's fun. Yeah, I had this idea that like the codicil that that the energy source is sort of raw and the codicil is controlling it. And when you stop the spell or stop her from casting it, it starts to go out of control and things could get worse. Because then I have this other subplot that I threw in there, which is this giant elder evil named Thrun who's buried under the ice. So like maybe it's like if you don't want Thrun to get free, you know, you have to deal with both of these and you have to deal with them pretty quickly because if you cast the spell from the codicil of the white and get and and or stop oral from using that every day then that thing is going to go crazy and thrun is definitely getting out and that's even worse than having oral out so lots of threats right lots of big threats scipio in the chat says that that there could be something in the city that would that would at least help them with the yeah the, and the I, I think there could be the nice thing is like you could certainly at this point have like groups of both githyanki and groups of mind flayers wandering around in all these places you know, trying to do their thing too. And, and certainly the mind flares would be interested in the power source. So I think there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting factions. And I, I think th I'm kind of thinking ahead and like, I'm also then keeping my mind fuzzy, except my players are definitely going to that ship next, which is, I got to figure at least that part of it out. Right. And I know my other group is also really excited about that ship. So I better get it figured. I gotta, I gotta sit down and look at it. Cause like when I ran, I'll tell you when I ran the, uh, the, Durgar outpost it was pretty boring like I actually said like I, I kept thinking like where did this outpost come from did they build it like it's been here all this time and no one noticed so I'm like what if it was you know so I had to add some stuff and I did some rolling on some tables I'm like ah it's actually a dragonborn outpost by blue dragonborn that were actually mercenaries of a car Kessel back when he brought all the armies in right a hundred years ago and so they had built the citadel while he was building up his armies and attacking ten towns, and they were one of the. I know I'm pretty sure the Dragonborn weren't actually around back then, but I don't care. I'm, so, I'm, I'm more concerned about the blue. 
Because <laughs> blue is yeah, the, well, that's, blue or blue yeah. or desert dragons. <laughs> so. But well, yeah. See, I, ha- I have a I have a much easier uh, response to that. That that outpost on Kelvin's Cairn is right above the Dwarven Valley, so it's just an old abandoned Dwarven lookout. Yeah, post. so that would have worked. That would have worked just fine too. The problem is it didn't have any flavor in the book, right? right and, yeah, it's it's very drab in the book. Yeah, sure. and I was like, yeah. and and the problem is like I literally. It's funny because I shot a video on Monday about how to prep your game in 15 minutes. And then yesterday I literally had 12 minutes before the game to do all of my prep. And I'm like, I better come up with something. Cause this place is boring. This is, uh, this place is boring. And, and I did, and it was enough. And I, I did my quantitative analysis of asking my wife, Hey, on a scale of one to 10, how'd you like the game? And she's like an 8.5. I'm like, Ooh, that's pretty good for a game. I got, I did 12 minutes, you know, I'll live with that. That's better than my other. Game. Now, now that we're face to face again, after a year of being virtual, my players expect maps for every, everything. Uh, and so mo- most of my prep is just drawing maps and finding the right minis ahead of time. So I don't have to do it in the middle of the game. <laughs> don't get me started. I just, I just had like a, a conversation with 80 people on Twitter about that mm-hmm. today. So, uh, and, and I think my group is used to me not having maps, but I'll tell you like that. So this is actually a very interesting question because my group is probably going to start getting back together. We got one, one person that's left, uh, that hasn't finished their full vaccinations yet. And then we're probably going to come back to the table. And like, I was talking to another friend of mine and she's like, what tool are you going to use then? And I'm like, I don't know. And so I got to like rethink what it's like to play at the table again. Cause I'm really used you, to playing. What do you, what do you mean by what tool? Well, like, I don't know how, you know, all of the maps I've been doing are copy and pasted and drawing like little lassos to grab whatever part of the map that they can see and dropping it into discord. Like that's how I've been running it. I guess I can still kind of do that with like a monitor and stuff. But then I think like, well, how did I do it? I could barely even remember how I ran a game, you know, 18 months ago. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's just weird. Yeah. It's just the whole process is weird. And like, we're all used to all these tools that we've got all the time. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know, it's going to be very strange. So, well, I don't know that that whole thing is, is going to be, is interesting. Um, Anyway, so yeah, that that's I've got these sort of big things on the horizon like Githyanki and Mind Flayers and Cult of Thrun and Oral and Yethrin and the, the Dorgar. And like, you know, we'll see how all that plays out, right? Like, I don't know. You know, that's a lot of fronts. And, yeah. I, and I, I really only want like three at well, a time. And it, and it feels like you've got like, what, four different major fronts and it's worth pointing out only half of them come from the adventure that you're running. The rest of yeah, them are right. all like completely yeah, homebrew yeah. Mike Shea. And that's, so that's, that's the, the one thing that I, the one thing that I, uh, that I, that I really praise Frost, the uh, rhyme of the Frostbane for is that there is lots of room for you to add in your own stuff. And it's not hard to add in your own stuff. The, the part that, but then the thing that I don't, that I, that I, that I criticize it for is I just don't feel like it's giving me everything I want for 50 bucks to help me run an adventure, right? Like I'm doing a lot of work, probably not quite as, well, I don't know. Yeah. Probably not quite as much work as I did with Descent and Avernus. Um, mm-hmm. because where Descent and Avernus has a structure I didn't want, Frostmaiden doesn't have a structure at all. And I have right. to add one. <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, it's kind of me sort of figuring out one way or the other how to how to well, do that. Well, it has a structure in chapters three, four, five, six, and seven. Yeah, and then it's just that the, yeah. the begin because it's the beginning that doesn't have the structure. It's kind of yeah. So like, there's there's a lot of things where I'm like, well, I, I there are there are places in chapter two. I'm totally ignoring that bell. The, there are places <laughs> what, in chapter two. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. There are places <laughs> in chapter two that have no real tie to anything else, but that's they sound cool. So I'm like, well, what can I put in this place that will help the characters go see it? Like, what, what, how can I hook one place to another? So an example was, I think they need the crystal, the id, the the uh, what's it called, the psi crystal from Termalane to power their ship to fly away, which means my group already has it. So it's kind of one of those quests where like, oh, I already have the objective for the quest in my hand. Here you go. And then the quest is over and they fly away in the ship. And I was like, well, what if instead they actually do need a power source, but it was stolen by gnolls and those gnolls are in the howling cave. So now there is, you know, there's there's now a connection between two places in Chapter two, you go, you talk to mind flayers, the good, the happy mind flayers, the friendly ones. Uh, <laughs> they they say, hey, we want a power source, but it's over here in this Howling Cave joint, right? And you got to go there and then you deal with them. And then you can talk to them and they tell you about the fact that there's vampire dolls out there too. So uh, another example is uh, Anjuk's Bell. I don't remember mm-hmm. the name of the quest, right? But there's the, the bell and you ring it and a whale comes and he takes you to the island. And I was like, what if the bell was made of Shardalon? And it got stolen by pirates, and that's what's on the ship that, you know, you, you, so you could go to the bell and be like, well, I can't ring it. There's no bell. And the dwarves said, yeah, we tried to get it, but it had been stolen, and we think pirates stole it. And then when you hear about the pirate ship. You like, mean the, the clapper in the bell? Like the bell's there, but there's no clapper? Well, I think the whole bell, right? Oh, okay. I think the entire bell got made, right? The whole thing was made of Shardalon. So the and way that. that- the, the way that would be obvious to anybody playing the adventure, because the way it's set up Anja Cook's bell is like on this piece of ice. And it's a little, it's a little like deck with a big bell hanger for yeah. you to ring the bell. And then the, so it would be, it wouldn't just be like, how are they going to know the bell is gone? It oh, would be and, obvious. And that, they when they hear, got there, yeah. they would see that the bell was gone. You know, one of the many yeah. old coots that's hanging out in, 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 in right. 10 towns is going to be like, yeah, you want to know how to get to that Island. You know, yeah. rumor is you have to ring the bell on right. Anja Cook's bell, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then you're like, oh, yeah, but I heard the bell got stolen. Oh, yeah, I heard pirates took it. And this other guy's like, oh, by the way, there's a frozen pirate ship out there, the Dark Duchess. And then <laughs> right. you go out there and then you deal with dragons. So, you know, now I can yeah. tie all these things together. The third thing is like I want uh, Gant. Um, you know, Gant is in prison yeah. and I want I want him to have information the characters need. So that they have to go and talk to him and they have to convince a prisoner at this place, a former member of the Arcane Brotherhood, you know, what, you know, they like maybe he's the one that really knows about the connection between Oral and this, the, the Codicil of the White and the power source that's down in Yethrin. And he's the only one that does. But if you want it, you got to go talk to him and then he's going to he's going to want something. Maybe he's going to want them to break him out. Right. And now you have to do a heist. You know, you have to do an escape where they have to break, you know. They have to break him out. So I, I want to. I've I've got a bunch of ideas for these sort of places, right? And 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 the hooks, like the hooks that are in the book, are actually kind of weak. So I need stronger hooks and reasons, and and have some kind of connection that's drawing them towards you know the 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 main plot of the book. So that's I'm spending more time on that now that I'm starting to dig into chapter to chapter two. Um, you know, like one of the other things I did is when you the, the ghost that's in Termalane uh, that that took over Trex, the uh, the the kobold, I made him a dead member of the Arcane Brotherhood rather than the goofy storyline that he had that had no relation to anything else. And now they have an Arcane Brotherhood guy who's with them who can tell them stuff about the other members of the Arcane Brotherhood and about, you know, he's a great source for like getting more information to help guide them. And he knows that the 
our member of the Arcane Brotherhood who got killed in East Haven had a map to the Lost Spire, which is the one piece of the Nether the Netheril city that is available. And then that drives the characters to go there and find out what's going on there. So there's all these sort of ties going on. And and I think it'll be stronger in the end, but I feel like I gotta sit there with a big notebook and write all this stuff out. Mm-hmm. You know, when I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I still feel like the adventure's <laughs> just not yeah. N- not I mean, my, Mike and I have talked about this a lot on his Discord channel in that how do you how do you fix that when the adventure isn't written in a way that makes it make sense to you and you feel like you're doing way too much work as the DM? And there are a few ways to fix it, but the problem is he's already like halfway through. He's he's through chapter one already. And now it's like, okay, now is the time I need to think about how to how to do this, but because the book didn't give any guidance on doing it from the get-go, from the very beginning, it's kind of like now he's doing even more work to try to kludge everything in, yeah. you know, to, and, 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 and part it's, of it, it's yeah. unfortunate. Part of it is self-inflicted because I also want, I'm, part of the reason I'm doing this is I want to I offer guidance for how to run the book, right? And I don't feel right. like I can read it and give that guidance. I think I have to run it. And, and I'm one of the few people that will run it for multiple groups in multiple ways. Right. And, and so I can kind of capture all that so that years down the road when people are running it, they go, oh yeah, right? I get lots of people who talk about running how I ran Horde of the Dragon Queen, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, I'm glad I did that because it's helpful yeah. to people. I also get lots of people that mention, hey, you know, you're you're doing this thing in your campaign. Well, let me tell you what Sly Flourish right. said. And I'm like, I know him. He he <laughs> I know. He Shut talks up. he Shut talks endlessly every month. <laughs> so. You should talk to that Sly Flourish guy. Yeah. F- yeah. You. yeah. <laughs> Actually I've been, I've, Shut I've, up. I've been uh seeing a lot of people talking about uh Lazy Dungeon Master suddenly seems to have gotten a second wind uh lately. So. Yeah, YouTube. Yeah, been, you, you, turns out YouTube is this popular place that weird. you can put videos, people watch them. Huh? So, yeah. How about that? So yeah. Um, so those are my. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at currently, and I'm, I'm I'm in a better place than I was last time we talked. Last time we talked, I was really kind of frantically running around trying to figure out how the hell to get them to move forward. Now I feel like they're forward, and I feel like I just got to lay lay more road out in front. You know. So nice. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, in that case, we're going to be done with Mike's time. I want to remind people that the primary way of supporting the show, the primary way that we pay the bills uh, is through our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. We've got a great community of folks over there. I try to pop in and post something every every couple of weeks or so and, and talk about some things that we're thinking about or what we're doing or whatever. But uh, uh you know, I've I've moved away from all of the affiliate stuff, and I've moved away from the sponsors, with the exception of this uh, rather worthy one that came along and sought me out. Um, and Patreon has sort of become the main way that that I'm paying for for our little hobby of, of getting together on a regular basis and talking about D and D. So if you want to support us, Patreon.com/slash The Tome Show. Go do that. All right, uh, Sam. Yes, sir. You don't have any time left. Yeah, the the the, yeah. the episode right. only has uh, about ten minutes left, so you've got that much time. Right. Go. That's okay. All right, see everybody. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> Which is funny because we started the episode with Mike and I saying, "Well, we don't have too much," and Sam saying, uh-huh. "That's okay. I can talk all night." <laughs> I got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't remember how far I got last time. What I talked to you about, but they 
the party went to Kelvin's Cairn. So they, unlike Mike's team, which went through all the towns to get from Lonelywood over to Kerr Koenig, my group went across the tundra past Kelvin's Cairn, which was great for me because it was right at the time when I did want to start putting a bunch of Chapter 2 stuff in. And so I could put it in as they traveled across. And one of the things that happened, I'm, I'm sure I talked to you about them meeting the Redhead tribesmen and learning that the the young the young guy in the Redhead tribe he's he's the the son of the of the chief of that tribe, but the two tribes are are the 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 wolf tribe is split because the the regular part of the wolf tribe thinks that uh, that that their leader thinks that he's the the chosen of oral and me- meanwhile the tiger tribe leader thinks they're the chosen of oral so they're warring and the t- the wolf tribe is becoming cannibalistic so a part of the wolf tribe split off my group ran into them and learned a bunch of stuff about them and the reason i did that is because um they two of my party members are Reghead tribesmen, and so they're now learning about the things going on. And one of those people is the is the one who is actually the heir of the of the Tiger tribe leader who was put in a basket and set afloat on the Sea of Moving Ice when he was a baby and was rescued and is still alive, but but doesn't really know what his connection to the Tiger tribe leader is. But so now they're so that's getting worked in. So I was able to do that while they were going across. Also, they ran into the black cabin while they were going across. I know I already talked about that on a previous episode. They get to Kelvin's Cairn. They find the the, the Dwergar outpost. Now they haven't been to Kirkonig yet, so I did that quest backwards. They go into the Dwergar outpost. They talk to Nildar Sunblight, Zardarok's son. And they find that he is there with just a few Dwergar and a whole bunch of black ice. He's got all this black ice collected. And he he knows they're not from around here. So he tries to negotiate with them and make a deal with them that any black ice they find, if they give it to him, he'll make sure that they get free passage and they can go back down south and they'll be spared the coming problems that are going to come to the to the Dale, right? And so they are trying to talk to him, and they almost start negotiating and saying, yes, we'll do this. In fact, they got to the point where he told the person in the party that is like the scribe who was taking notes through the whole thing. He tells that PC, hey, start writing the contract, and I'll sign it, and you'll sign it, and we'll be fine, and you can go ahead and go on your way. And they decide they're going to attack him instead. So they have this big fight. They kill him. They clear the, the fortress. They go through. They find tons and tons of chardolin that's been collected it's it's all wrapped up it's in cases it's in boxes it's in crates it's in barrels it's getting ready to be shipped out over to they don't know where but of course it's going to go to zardarok's fortress because he's using it to build uh the dragon but they don't know he's using it to build a dragon they're still investigating one of the pcs goes and investigates the tower that's there there's a there's a sort of separate tower that's through a secret passageway and um finds uh, an old crossbow and and when they pick up the old crossbow they also find a little chardolin dragon statuette now when they defeated nildar they also found a map and the map has marked on it uh dearth's location so it's got a spot where dearth is the other brother he's in east haven at the ferry and it's got a spot marked where the actual sunblight fortress is and it's got a spot marked where they are right now in Kerkonig because that's where nildar was so it's got letters for that an m a d and an x right 
And then it has a dot for each of the 10 towns, and it has two green arrows on it, one that goes to one town and then leaves from that town and goes to the other. And so those of you who have looked at the adventure know that that's the start of the dragon's flight path. Okay. Now, they don't know that that's what it is. All they know is now they have a map of 10 towns because I actually made the map for them and gave it to them on roll 20, right? And so now they have this map in front of them, and they're not really sure what it all means. But eventually they figure out, okay, the D, because they found the letter. There's a letter there as well in Nildor's, Nildor's office that talks about where Dearth is, right? right? And so they realize, okay, the, that's in East Haven. Oh, it says Dearth is in East Haven. There's a D right there. Okay, that D must mean Dearth is there. The N is where we are. That's where Nildar was. So what's the X? Oh, well, that must be Zardarok. Okay, so that so now they know what that is, but they don't know what the green arrows mean yet. So they leave there. They go to um, they they now the person who found the dragon statuette does not tell them that they found a dragon statuette. He keeps it secret. Okay, they go to Kerr Koenig. They meet Trovis, the drunk dragonborn, who embarrasses himself, gives them, uh, tries to take them to the Northern Lights Tavern Inn, and leads them all through town and tells them all this history of all the town and all these quests that he's gone on and all this stuff. But he's half drunk. He's he's like belching and burping, and he, he almost passes out one time and all this stuff. And then he gets to the inn. They go into the inn. The the sisters, the Sherard sisters who own the inn, they put Trovis to bed. They talk to the party, and uh, they're very, very nice, but they, they give little hints that they're followers of Oral, like they're members of the church, right, at the Church of Oral. So um, the party's like really suspicious, of course, and they don't know what's going on, but they're like, you know what, we're just going to go to the um, – oh, they find out also when they get there from the sisters that Torga's caravan is going to be in town the next day. And so they want to they want to go to that marketplace, and then they're going to leave, and they're going to go right to East Haven. Okay. Um, oh, and they give them back the lantern because when they're talking, they discover, oh yeah, we found this lantern at you know at, at this fortress, and the, they were like, oh, well, did you get the other stuff? There's a pearl necklace and two goats. And the party had discussed taking the goats and decided, now nah, we'll just leave the goats here. So now they feel bad because they didn't bring the people's goats home. But that's beside the point. <laughs> so they go the next day, they go to the marketplace, and the PC that had found the Black Ice Dragon tries to start negotiating with one of Torga's workers, right? One of the people who's traveling with Torga's caravan. And that person says, oh, you know, they're talking and he said something like, oh, you have secrets. I like secrets. I'll trade you secrets. And so the PC brings out this little dragon and says, oh, I'll trade this. And he says, no, no, I give you a secret and you give me a secret like you. That's trading secrets. I'm not I if you want to trade goods, you got to go talk to Torga. And he points over to Torga and Torga standing there talking to Sefik. Okay. Now they had suspected a long time ago that Sefik was the killer, or that someone on Torga's caravan was the killer, because they caught on that every time Torga's went somewhere, there was a death afterwards, right? But they don't know who did it, right? So as this PC is talking to this this uh, other person, he says, "Oh, who's y'all? Oh, oh, that's Torga. I'll go talk to Torga." And the other uh, guy says something like, "Yeah, but you know, don't." Maybe you know, might not want to interrupt because that's Sefik, you know, and he's a little, you know, this is how he gets out of doing work is that he just stands there and talks and, you know, he's kind of a sleaze bag and he just, he's, he doesn't like whatever. He's really weird and, you know, he's not wearing any warm weather clothing and whatever. And also there's a rumor that they've got a dead body with them. And like, so he's like seeding this through, right? So the player 
starts uh, says, uh, okay, well, I'll trade with Torga or whatever. But the player also is assuming that all the other players are listening in and eavesdropping, right? So the player is is ta- is is in character talking to this person and telling them a bunch of stuff and like showed them the the figurine or whatever. And the the worker calls Torga over and says, you know, Torga, this 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 uh, it's a tabaxi. So this this cat has something to trade, you know. And so they're they're negotiating. And the PC, the players of the PC, is assuming that everybody else is eavesdropping, but none of them are. They're all doing other stuff. So. That player like says a whole bunch of stuff that would be really good for the other people to know, but none of them are listening. Now, the players themselves know, but my players are really good at separating player knowledge from character knowledge. And they know that none of their characters know the stuff that this PC just told this guy, right? So uh, meanwhile, one of the other PCs is over there talking to Sefik, and Sefik is acting like a real sleazebag. He like basically asks the PC out like he he's like wow you look like a really hardy bodyguard and I you know I'm I, I I'm also very hardy and you don't seem to be affected very much by the cold I'm also not affected by the cold and hey we should you know talk and have conversations and tell stories to each other and he's like he but he's doing it in a real sleazy way right and she of course is having none of it she's like I gotta get the hell away from this guy <laughs> I don't trust him whatever but but she doesn't know that the other PC is over there being told yeah they got a dead body and everywhere they go there's like all this stuff so they end up just leaving town. They don't confront him. They just like get their <laughs> stuff. They make a trade for all this food and different stuff. And they get the heck out of town and they go to East Haven. Now, the reason I tell you all that stuff is because later on, it sort of comes out that one of the one of the other players is a little bit like, you need to quit keeping secrets. You need to have your PC start acting like a team member and telling us all what you know because hiding stuff from all of us doesn't help us. We just left what could potentially have been a, a real and uh, you know a, an interaction that we needed to have, and instead we just turned around and left town and we traveled and we went over to this other thing to do this thing and we could have actually finished a quest. We could have done you know all the but because you didn't have your PC you know, play fair in the sandbox, basically, by giving us all the information that you know, when we've been giving you all the information we know. So now, you know, now it kind of screwed the party a little bit, because now, you know, they, they could have had, they could have taken care of a problem, and they didn't take care of a problem. So anyway, so they go to East Haven, when they walk into East Haven, they see that there's uh, uh, someone being brought out and tied to a stake, and they're about to set everything on fire. And one of the PCs, so they're in this huge crowd, right? And one of the PCs has a control flames spell and decides to do control flames and causes the flames to sort of move away from or, – or so there's a big bonfire. And part of that spell, you can um, cause some of the flames to go out. So you can make a five-foot square, like you can make flame leave that five-foot square. So that's what they did. And so to the townsfolk, it looked like – the spellcaster that was tied up being burned at the stake, whose you know mouth is sewn shut and his eyes are covered with a blindfold and his fingers and, and arms have been bound, can still cast a spell because he's casting to make it so that those flames don't burn him. No. And so everybody starts freaking out. They're like, oh, he can still cast spells. And See, they I th- start I thought, like, gonna, I, thought says, I thought he was going to be the chosen one. 
the gods have divined that this man will not die. <laughs> no, they're like he can still he still has arcane power, <laughs> even though like we got to get out of here. He's dangerous. So they start like a stampede starts. All the the crowd are leaving, right? And so I had set up a map and I had all these tokens. I had like eighty five tokens of people around this like center thing, and I started having them r- rush around and like people getting pushed around and they moved through. And one of my PCs doesn't like crowds, so it really freaked him out like that's his his kind of phobia right so it's like oh no you know and so all this stuff happens meanwhile so now the captain captain arlagath sees oh great now the fire isn't killing and just goes and takes the spear and like kills dazan right just kills him flat out because he needs to be executed and if he's not going to get burned the way that the that it, the courts you know or whoever the, the the speaker decided then we need to get out but also before that the speaker gave like a speech about here's what you're accused of and here's why you're being put to death and all that so and then they spoke to captain arlagath and so they hear all this stuff meanwhile then they see velen harpel is there as well watching and so of course after that they end up uh, going in and um, they meet with Captain Arlagath because he overhears them talking to Velen, and they're telling Velen, oh, yeah, we just saw this, and we just did that, and we met with this person, and we saw these horrible things, and we have this note that says the dearth is going to be at the ferry, and, of course, Captain Arlagath is like 10 feet away, and they're just talking away. So, of course, I had Captain Arlagath start inching closer to them to listen to what they were talking about. And finally, one of them realized, because I was like barely moving the token, then I'd barely move the token, <laughs> and I'd barely move the – and finally, one of them realized, is that guy standing right next to me? And I was like, yep, and you're still talking. You're <laughs> just talking away, talking away. So <laughs> so they end up talking to Captain Arlegath in the town hall, and they – he gives them permission to go check out the ferry. He tells them about the state of what's happening in the town and why Dazan was being, you know, put to the stake and all that. And uh, they show him the map that that shows all the different locations and all that stuff. And then they go out to the ferry. When they get out to the ferry, there's nobody there, and they find in the ferry, uh, they find uh, two pieces of parchment rolled up. One of them is on a table and one of them is like on the ground somewhere. And as they're looking, they unroll the one and it looks like almost the same as the map that they have already had, but it's got two more arrows on it. And they start rolling that up and putting that away. And as soon as they start rolling it up and putting it away and they grab the other one, dearth, uh, become he doesn't become visible he he's a mind master dwergar so he tries to confuse one of the pcs and cause them to attack someone else the the pc rolled very low on their save so they ended up going over and trying to attack one of the other pcs the attack did not succeed but then they're like what are you doing what's going on and then dearth becomes visible and rushes at them and attacks and so they have this battle with dearth right in the middle of it and here's one thing I want to say about this adventure. They put this great artwork in Roll20, except the artwork that they use for Dearth has him standing in his tiny-fied form because he's kind of a reverse to Wergar. He gets tiny instead of getting larger, right? They've got him in the image next to a goblet, and he's tiny standing next to the goblet. So it's like, well, gee, there's a hint. I can't show the players. Every now and then they do that. Yeah, I, I noticed yeah. that. Same with uh, 
in Curse of Strahd, uh, one of the woman who de- worships devils or whatever in, in Velaki uh, shows up in the artwork with an imp on her shoulder. It's like, well, now I can't show them that artwork because they don't know that stuff yet. Yeah. <laughs> and the Bell and Harpel artwork has her with her cobalt. So I had to cut that out, you know. And and the Sephic, it's like the description is, oh, this he has no weapons and he's got whatever. But then the picture of him has a big ice sword. It's like, well – you know, what do you right. <laughs> how and what do you want me to do? So anyway, so they kind of guessed it and I was like, Oh, I don't know. And then of course he did get tiny during the battle and uh, and ran away. And then they proceeded to fight, and then two or three other Dwergar hammerers in these huge metal suits with giant claws and a big hammer as the other hand come out and, and they so they have this big fight. They end up pushing those guys off and into the water. They cast uh, thin the ice on the water there. And they pushed the guys into it. So they just basically were these big bricks sinking down. So they did some really interesting different tactical things to actually make that happen. At the end of the whole battle, Durth actually escaped. But they got his other parchment piece. And the other parchment piece was a document that shows kind of a picture of the Shardolin dragon. And it's got some arrows in different places. And it's signed by an engineer it says, you know, something, something, engineer, blah, 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 whatever, clan. And basically it says a couple of things. It says that um, it says that there are uh, – there's a couple of weaknesses for the, for the creature. Uh, it's got too low of a speed, and its joint needs to be reinforced here and here, and the tail needs to have some sharp spines put on it for maximum devastation or something like that, right? So by now, the party's catching on, and they're like – Huh. So let's see. We found all this Shardolin, and he wanted us to bring him Shardolin, and we found some scale-shaped Shardolin, although they thought it was a shield. They thought they were little shield-shaped pieces instead of scales. And and then the PC's like, oh, you mean like this dragon statuette that I had found, you know, like the one that uh, the, 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 the player was going to trade off. And it's sort of like that's at the point when they realized, OK, we didn't know you had that. We didn't know you had this other stuff. We didn't know you had this other information because you're not talking to us. So basically the rest of that session, although it was a full length session, and but the last few minutes of it was kind of one of those realizations of, OK, mm. some people in this party know things that they're not telling other people. And it's now causing a problem. And I'm not talking about the player secrets. The, the player secrets are like kind of not secrets anymore because they've all been played out because it was a fun thing for them to sort of try to figure out what everybody's secrets are and let's do this and this. But this other – this player is playing this PC as a very secretive busybody and – it's start, It's starting to come back to them because now things are getting serious and they're starting to really need to be able to put information together. And they're not able to put all the information together because one of the players has been holding out, so to speak, on them. And so that kind of came to a head in the last session. And uh, and so that's so that that's basically that was the end of that is they found those engineering plans. They now know there's going to be a dragon uh, probably. And I even showed them the picture in Roll20 of the Shardolin dragon. Um, because they had the drawing from the engineer. And so now they know there's some serious stuff, but now it's sort of like, okay, now there's a moment of reckoning where, okay, is this party going to really work together or are they going to end up like ditching somebody because they can't play nice in the sandbox? So <laughs> I heard my timer go off, so that's why I'm stopping. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it didn't stop any, it usually doesn't stop anybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> the timer goes off so we can kind of keep track of where we're at, not because anybody's going to care. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> so, 
But I, so, you know, the thing is, like, I've had I, this, this sort of thing has happened. I mean, there's conversations all over uh, through, through multiple years of, of things like this, where how do you, what happens if you give uh, one particular player information? And, you know, oftentimes the discussion is, well, it, how do you get a player to separate player knowledge from character knowledge and how do you how do you make it so that's that it works right and this is one of those cases where it kind of it's the it's the opposite because all the other players were like okay well i know as a human being in real life that this pc that is in my party knows these things but my my player doesn't know so i can't act on it so how am i supposed to deal with that you know one of my players sent me a message and was like I don't know if I should be upset or if I, how I should deal with this or what I should be doing, but sometimes it's uncomfortable because I want to poke this player and, and try to like in game, get them to accidentally reveal the secret. But sometimes this particular player that was texting me, that player, he said, you know, sometimes I, I can't, I don't have a good way to do it. Like I'm not, I'm not fast enough to do it in a way that it makes sense and doesn't just come off like, like I'm not able to separate player knowledge from character knowledge. And so what do I do about that? And I, and so we had a conversation about that and, you know, ultimately the, there had to be an out of game conversation with the, with the player that's keeping secrets, you know, but, it's it's just one of those things, right? It's it's part of it's part of the game is that you especially one with built-in secrets, right? And so much right. information. And it doesn't have to be a negative part of the game so long as the players know that that's the kind of game that's happening, right? I mean, every drama that's ever been on television ever. Like if people just wouldn't keep secrets, Everything would be resolved in 15 minutes and it wouldn't be, you know, <laughs> like, I love that. That's like the, uh, the Darth Vader meme. It's like, tell your sister you were right. Oh yeah. And check out that planet Exegol. You know? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So. Right. I mean, and, and it's true, right? It's Characters true. keeping secrets dr- drives drama, but, um, if that's not the kind of pl- game that people want to play, then that's different. Well, the thing is, like, but it so that and that's where the 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 weirdness with Rhyme of the Frostmaiden comes in is it kind of is the way that everybody wants to play at first because you have a built-in set of secrets and everybody knows that each other have secrets, but when the secrets start becoming well, this player found this thing and this player learned this information and chose not to share it with mm-hmm. the other people because right. they just thought everybody was eavesdropping anyway. Then it's uh, partly a miscommunication issue and partly a, you know, someone made assumptions based on something that wasn't there. Right? I find a lot of times, like whether I start a campaign with we have secrets from each other, we you know sometimes I'll, that'll be part of my opening sessions here are questions. What, what, what secret are you keeping from everybody? You know, whatever. Uh, and whether or not you, you go into a campaign with that expectation, I find that by the time they hit like, I don't know, level five or so, the expectation is that, yeah, but it's D&D. And so eventually we come together and we're a team and, and all of that stuff goes away. It's, it's just an opening gambit. It's not the way the game will be played. Uh, so there's there, – yeah, I think if you really want to play a game that really plays up this idea of secrets and, and what have you that players keep from each other, maybe find a different game because – D&D is not built around that concept. <laughs> so. 
And so I don't want I I don't want to make it seem like this player was purposefully being a jerk, right? Like they they totally weren't. They're playing their character the way they played their character from the beginning, right? But the the problem is that uh, that now they're about to be fifth level. Like you just said, mentioned fifth level, right? They literally at the end of that session, I said, okay, level up to fifth level, right? So their fifth level by the time this party is fifth level, they've all been traveling together for this long, right? And and they've leveled up to all to, to all these levels. They should be able to talk to each other and not keep secrets that are important, right, for the group working together. But the thing is, with Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, there is so much information, right? There's so many disparate pieces of information that they get. If they're not putting them together because somebody's withholding some piece of knowledge and – that's why they're not putting them together. It really, it really hurt them last session. It really hurt them that that player was not forthcoming with what they knew. Mm. Um, you know, and I mean, so that so then I question myself, right? As the DM, should I have just said, "Hey, everyone, you will all see this," right? Right. Or do I say, you know, and I had I, they rolled perception checks and nobody saw and nobody heard what was happening. So, you know, like. That's within the mechanics of the game. So do I override that? Like, and I just let it go. And then it really came back to haunt them later on in the session because when one of the when it finally figured out, like one of the players was like, "All right, this is like almost upsetting now." So, mm-hmm. but you know, it happens. But with rhyme, it was particularly weird. Sometimes I even find that like those things happen, and it feels really bad. And I go back and I post mortem and like, should I have done this differently and whatever? And then. I move forward, I use the stumbling block as a creative launching point, whatever, mm-hmm. and, and it ends up becoming better in the long term. But yeah. it doesn't make it not feel crappy, you know, for that week or whatever right. after it happens. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, honestly, by now all the everybody's okay with like we've already we already resolved it, but I'm just bringing it up because it is something that oh, yeah. when you have a game where it's very sandboxy in the beginning and there are a lot of disparate quests and not every one of them is directly connected, but the DM that is me is trying to put in things that connect so that they'll catch on sooner mm-hmm. or later with all and ha- be able to realize how all these are connected. But you can't do that if somebody's holding those pieces back. So, yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting thing. But anyway, so that's it. All right. Well, Otherwise, Mike, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still a super fun. It's still extreme. We had a lot of fun. It's not. Yeah. You yeah. Know, nobody rage quit. <laughs> well, very good. All right. Well, we are. You know, our the three of us have talked for fifteen minutes about our game, and fifteen plus fifteen plus fifteen equals uh, an hour and fifteen minutes, right? So yep. I yeah, think it is time. <laughs> I think it is time to wrap up the episode. Um, so yeah, that's it. That's our that's our games for for June. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at squatch s q u a c h. Mike, slyflourish.com. Go to that website. <laughs> Everything's linked off of there. You want to find all my crap? It's there. All right, and Sam, what about you? DM Samuel on Twitter and RPGmusings.com. All right, and we want to say thanks to our sponsor, uh, Galder's Gazetteer. Go over and find that on DriveThruRPG uh, and show them some support and, uh, you know, raise some money for cancer research. That's the end of the episode. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. <laughs>